We're working our way through the New Testament. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What we're looking at today is spiritual warfare. And I experienced it in the first service. Uh, it's amazing. Whenever I teach on spiritual warfare, uh, the, the, the demons just pull out all, all, all the stops. And I had one of those weeks this week. There was a lot of spiritual battles this week. And then uh, this morning I come in my office, and as I'm coming in my office, I have several Bibles stacked up on my, on my desk. And so uh, I was in a hurry to get back over here in time to teach and stuff and be here for the worship service. So I grabbed the Bible and I came over here and I'm doing the first service and I'm talking, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare today. And I opened up my Bible and it was the wrong Bible. And I, I just, I, I have abbreviated notes, my, all my cross-reference, everything else. And then I look in the Bible that I had and the Bible had taped notes so I couldn't even read the scripture for the first service. And I said, Heidi, you need, to do, you need to do an exit out of here and please get my right Bible in there. And I'm going, this is spiritual warfare right here. 32 years, I've never brought the wrong Bible to the pulpit until this morning when we're talking about spiritual warfare and those demons, those demons led me to the wrong Bible. And I'm, I'm going, this spiritual warfare stuff's real. And you know, 32 years ago when I started the ministry and pastors would talk about spiritual warfare and people were talking about demons and all stuff, I thought, you know, sometimes I thought, these guys are a little bit out there in left field. They're a little spooky to me. Why do they talk about spiritual warfare and demons? But I've been in the ministry now for 32 years and it's real. It's real. There's forces against us as Christians. There's powers and principalities. And I've seen pastors that I love and respect and learn from that aren't in the ministry anymore because they fell because of defeat in their life spiritually. I've seen marriages that I thought were good Christian marriages that ended up in divorce because of the spiritual warfare that was attacking. And so what we're talking about this morning is real. It's very real. Paul talked about these battles that we face in Ephesians 6.12. Our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against what? Rulers powers, world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In that same passage, two verses before this, he said, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for, again, our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so the exhortation there is, Christians, realize you're not on vacation here for 70, 80 years. You're not on vacation. This is a real deal. We're in a war. And we need to fight the good fight. We need to finish the course. We need to keep the faith. We need to be people that are, as Paul said, not unaware of Satan's schemes. Jesus put it this way. Uh, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And so I'm going to give you some wisdom this morning from God's word. And I'm going to give you some weapons for warfare this morning. I'm going to give you some tools you know, some of you guys out there, you, you, you like tools, don't you? I mean, if, if we send you into Home Depot or Lowe's, you ain't getting out without at least spending 100 bucks in tools, right? We, I heard amen over there. Tools. Tools are a good thing. I was, I, was, I was using my blower yesterday to blow some of the leaves off our backyard and my back porch, and I was using this. I like that blower. I told Heidi this morning on the way to church, that blower is like me. It's fast and furious. Got my personality. I just blow all the leaves go flying all over the place. I remember when I just had a rake and didn't have something like that. I'm going, I like my blower. I like having some tools. And I like having some tools spiritually too. I like having some weapons that will help me win in this warfare that I'm, 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 I'm involved in, you know? And I, I, I tell you, since being here in the South, I know the, the people down here like weapons. It's, it's a real deal. 
I'm from liberal Chicago, suburb of Chicago. The suburb I grew up in Chicago, we, we couldn't even have guns. We, there was a, a village ordinance we had that you couldn't even have a gun in your house. Talk about a liberal place. I mean, the breaking the Constitution right there. But that, that ain't so down here in the South. There's some of you right now that are packing, right? And praise the Lord. And when people ask if, if I could come to your church and pack, I said, as long as you got my back, we're cool. But weapons are good. Weapons are good if they're in the right hands and they're used for the right purposes. And so what we're talking about this morning is weapons. Weapons that God wants to give us in this war that we're in against demonic forces. Weapons that will help us not be victims of the devil and demonic forces, but victors over the devil and his demonic forces. And we're going to be equipped this morning in righteousness and in warfare this morning in this scripture we're looking at. Very important chapter on warfare. Some classic great verses on warfare here in this chapter, chapter 10. You ready to get into a church? All right, let's jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, context. Always got to study scripture in context. What's happening here? Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and in the Corinthian church, there's people that were false teachers that were opposing his ministry. There was people that were even saying, we're going to see in the next four chapters, Paul is going to repeatedly have him defend the fact that he's even an apostle. Because there was people in this church in Corinth that was denying his apostleship, saying that Paul's not even an apostle. He's not a real apostle. He's, he's a, and they were, they were undermining his leadership in Corinth. Here's the first thing I want you to see, spiritual warfare. One of the things that demonic forces want to do, especially within churches, is undermine the leadership that's in those churches. One of the things that Satan is constantly working at is to cause division and negativity and a lack of following of leadership in the church because then he knows if the church is divided, he could conquer and he could paralyze that church because of lack of leadership because the church, leadership's been undermined. And so listen, church, when someone is undermining spiritual leadership, don't entertain it. Don't be a part of that. Tell that person, hey, if you've got an issue with that leader or that leader or that leader, go talk to them. Matthew 18, 15 says, if you have a matter with a brother who you think is in sin, go to them in private and deal with them in private. That's what Matthew 18, 15 says. So if you want to not be a part of the negative side of that spiritual leadership within church, don't be like these people that are denying Paul's apostleship and feeding into that. Stop it. Don't even entertain it. But notice Paul's response to this attack on his leadership. He says, I come to you with meekness and gentleness and the spirit of Christ. That's the first thing. When you're, when you're in, especially if you're being under attack and there's an attack upon you personally and there's spiritual warfare like that going on, the first thing you've got to have in place is you've got to have the right spirit. And Paul says, hey, my spirit in the midst of these attacks, meekness, gentleness, the spirit of Christ. Why is that important? Because if we don't have the spirit of, of Christ when we're being attacked, especially by people that Satan or demons are using, then we're just going to feed into that and we're going to be bitter, we're going to be angry, we're going to be retaliatory, we're going to be not having the spirit of Christ, and that's going to feed into the warfare. Proverbs 15.1 tells us, a gentle answer turns away what? Wrath. And what we need to have is what Jesus talked about when we have enemies, there's spiritual attacks through enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Have the spirit of Christ towards them. 
Paul said in Romans chapter 12, overcome their evil with good. He said in Romans 12, hey, bless those who, pers- or bless those who insult you and curse you. Bless them. Put, put burning coals upon their head, is what it actually says, because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna overcome that, those attacks by loving them in response to their anger and hate and insults. That's the right way to deal with attacks, especially when it's coming through people that are going against you. Just love them. God bless you. <laughs> you know, just turn the other cheek and then, then, then even help them and pray for them. What did Jesus do on the cross when he was being attacked by people? Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing, right? That's the spirit of Christ. Now, some people say, well, that gentleness, meekness is weakness. No, it's not. The word meekness there in the original language is this. It's strength under control. That's the spirit that we're supposed to have, especially when there's attack going on. Have our strength under control. The fruit of the spirit, last two fruits, is gentleness and self-control, which there's, there's nothing that will help us more in the midst of attack than having a gentle spirit, because Jesus had a gentle spirit. He had a spirit of meekness. He said, come to, me, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest in me. Take upon you my yoke, because I am gentle and humble in heart. See how important that is to have the right spirit there? It'll diffuse the attack oftentimes. It'll diffuse what's going on in that spiritual warfare you're dealing with. Um, Heidi and I, when we were first starting the ministry, uh, we were in the midst of the spiritual warfare of starting our first church in San Diego in a place that's very unchurched. And there was all kinds of spiritual warfare going on. And one thing we noticed when we first started the ministry in our first church, we get along fine. Have a great week. And then Saturday night would come. Before we, I'd have to preach on Sunday morning before she had to do children's ministry or worship on Sunday morning. We'd get in our worst conflicts on Saturday night. We couldn't figure it out. I mean, we would get in just fights on Saturday night. And then about a year or two in it, we realized, hey, what's happening here is spiritual warfare. And we changed our whole philosophy on Saturday nights. We, we lay low on Saturday nights. We, we, we are very careful in our interaction on Saturday nights. We're very careful to have a gentle and quiet spirit towards one another because otherwise we're feeding into that spiritual warfare where we, if we're in this conflict on Saturday night, what's going to happen on Sunday morning? We're going to be stuck in that spiritual warfare. and We're not going to be effective in what God's called us to do and do a ministry. So the spirit of Christ, that's the first thing that needs to be in place, a spirit of strength under control, meekness, gentleness, a right spirit when, when we're under attack. It's very important. That's what Paul has here. He says, I am a meek when face to face. And he has the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. But now look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, here's our weapons, we do not war according to the flesh. <clears throat> For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but what are they? good words. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Our warfare, spiritual warfare, needs to be with spiritual weapons, Paul is saying. And those spiritual weapons, notice, they're for destroying fortresses, destruction of fortresses. Now, what are fortresses? The word fortresses can also be strongholds. And the devil's goal in our life is to get strongholds, fortresses. He wants to get strongholds in our lives of addiction. He wants to get strongholds of sin. He wants to get strongholds of bitterness and anger. He wants to get things in our lives that get a grip on us. And one of the things that breaks those strongholds is the weapons of our warfare, which are spiritual weapons. 
Well, what kind of weapons? Well, if you look at Ephesians 6, Paul lays it all out in Ephesians 6. He says, therefore, take up the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. See some of those weapons? Some of our defensive weapons. We have the shield of faith. And as we grow in our faith, it's a shield from the fiery arrows of the evil one. So we're to be people that are growing in our faith. That's a weapon against those fiery darts Satan's throwing at us on a daily basis. Another one of our weapons defensively is a breastplate of righteousness. What is that? It's having an attitude of obedience. It says, I'm going to be right with God, and I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm not going to go the way of disobedience. I'm going the way of obedience. That's righteousness. And it guards our heart, that obedience, that commitment to be a doer of God's word. That guards our heart from getting our heart corrupted. There's other defensive weapons there, too. It's the belt of, the belt of truth. And the belt of truth, what it does is the soldiers would pull up their robes and they'd put it in the belt like that and it would keep the soldiers free to do battle. Truth keeps us free. You shall know the truth. And the truth does what? Sets you free, man. Good stuff. And there's, there's the helmet of salvation. Helmets were defensive also. And how does, a helmet of, how does our assurance of our salvation defend us? Well, we have a, an enemy that's accusing us all the time. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants you to doubt even your own salvation. And that's where we've got to have that helmet of salvation on its defensive. Say, hey, by the blood of Christ, I'm forgiven of all my sins. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I don't care what the devil says. I have a testimony. He's changed my life. And I have this assurance of salvation, and it protects us from the head games of the accusations of the devil. You see that? It's a weapon. The assurance of our salvation and standing on the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that's a weapon. And that's a weapon against the warfare we have with the devil. But there's offensive weapons, too. There's a sword of the Spirit. I love this sword of the Spirit. That's a weapon, man. Every time I teach through Ephesians, I talk about how the Word of God is a sword that we can go at it with the devil with. And, you know, I, if you come to my office, I have about a, probably seven or eight swords because I tell people I love the sword, the sword of the Spirit. And so people just donate swords to me. I have little kids come to my office, Pastor John. What's all those big swords on the corner of your office for? And I go, that's the sword of the Spirit. That's a symbol of the Word of God. And then I'll take out one of my Braveheart swords. It's about like this high, you know. And I'll show if a kid's in the office. I'll take it and I'll say, watch, this is a powerful weapon. And I'll throw it into the wood of my floor and just ding, like this. And I go, that's, that's the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word is a sword of the Spirit. It's awesome. And Jesus, when he was being attacked by the devil, what did he do? He used the sword of the Spirit. He stood on the promises of God and the truth of God, and he said back to the devil, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he won in his battle against the devil. We need to do the same thing. We need to be washed by the water of the word. We need to be people that hear God's word, study God's word, memorize God's word, meditate upon God's word, learn God's word, love God's word. And as you do that, God's word is gonna be a weapon that you can offensively use against the attacks of the devil. It's powerful. Why do we do all these Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel? Why do we got a Bible study every day? I thought church was supposed to be on Sundays. 
I mean, you got church every night of the week. I mean, you got Monday night, you know, young adults group. Wednesday night, you got service. Then the, the youth are doing Bible studies. And, and then Thursday night, you got women's Bible study. And then Friday morning, you got women's Bible study. And then Saturday morning, you got men's breakfast, another Bible study. And then all these Bible studies. Why do you do that? Because we want you to win. We want you to learn and be discipled in God's word so you have the sword of the spirit to offensively go after the one that's attacking you. And the more I get God's word in you, the more you're going to be strengthened to be victors instead of victims. And I want you to run the race in such a way that you win, church. And so we're going to be in the word here. If you don't like it, go to some mamby-pamby sermon at church, all right? We're not going to do that here. We're going to get in the word here because we want you to win. We want you to be victorious. We're going to be men and women of God's word because it will be a weapon you can use against the devil. Now, another weapon listed in there is prayer. It's interesting. Ephesians 6, all the weapons, are all the, all the different things that help you win, faith, righteousness, uh, all these things, truth, have a, have a weapon that's a symbol of that spiritual weapon. But prayer, it doesn't have an, a symbol. Why doesn't prayer have something that symbolizes prayer? You ever thought of that? There's a reason. It says prayer and petition at all times, but it doesn't give a weapon for it. You know why? Because prayer is the gas in the tank of all the other weapons. Prayer is what empowers your faith. Prayer is what empowers your righteousness. Prayer is what empowers your understanding of God's word. Prayer powers and energizes all the other weapons. So what should we be doing? We should be praying. We should be people of prayer. Remember when our kids were growing up, we felt led by the Lord to send our kids to public schools and be a witness in public schools. We just felt that they were supposed to go and they're supposed to be a witness in the public schools here. Part of it is Lexington has great schools. I mean, academically, they're good. So we sent our kids, but we made a commitment. Whenever our kids in the morning go to school, we're going to pray with them, we're going to read a chapter of Scripture with them or some Scripture with them and then pray with them. And we always sent our kids to school. Before they got to, to the school bus or before we dropped them off at school, we would be in the Word and we'd be in prayer with them because we didn't want them to go into the battle of being out there in a worldly place without prayer in God's Word sown into their lives. It's important, isn't it? If we're going to win, we've got to be people that are using these weapons. You know, um, our staff, every morning, and on the work days, before we get going in ministry here at Calvary Chapel, my staff is in my office with me every morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning on our work days, and we're opening our Bibles, and we're praying together. And we're, we're going to do that for 30, 45 minutes before we ever start our work day doing ministry, because I know what ministry involves in regards to spiritual warfare, and I want my staff people to be empowered by God's Word, empowered by prayer, before they face the battles they're going to face in ministry. Prayer. In church, we should start and end our day in God's word and prayer. That should just be a part of our discipline, you know? Start and end our day reading some scripture and praying so we have these weapons energized and empowered in our lives. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Amen. That's so powerful. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses in spiritual warfare. Now verse 5, we're destroying speculations <clears throat> and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now destroying speculations, what is that? What, what are the speculations? What are the lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God? Now speculation could also be translated philosophies. 
And there's philosophies in our culture that are against the knowledge of God. Can you say evolution? Our schools are teaching like it's science, and it really isn't. It's just a theory that there was a big bang, and they leave God out of the equation. That's a, that's, that's a speculation, a lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Humanism, another lofty thing, speculation raised up against the knowledge of God, where man is at the center of everything. Everything revolves around man. Is that true? No, God's at the center. Everything should revolve around God, not man, humanism. Another philosophy, speculation, lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. Be honest with you, false religions. There's all kinds of religions out there. Universalism, you know, Mormonism, uh, Jehovah Witnesses. All those, those are lofty things, speculations raised up against the knowledge of God. And they aren't true. Do you, know the, you know, I've been here in the South for 21 years now, and I've met a lot of people that name the name of Christ, and they think Mormons are fine. Mormons are Christians, too. They're not. That's a philosophy raised against the knowledge of God. How do I know that? Because if you go to the basis of the Mormon church, there's the Book of Mormon, and they believe the Book of Mormon needed to be written because the Book of Mormon corrects the corruptions that are in the Word of God. That's against the knowledge of God. Because what, is it, what are we told about God's Word in 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture is inspired by God. Another version says it's God-breathed. God has inspired every word in this book. It's not corrupted. We don't need a Book of Mormon to correct the corruptions in God's Word. That's a speculation. That's a philosophy raised up against the knowledge of God. So how do we get away from these things that are trying to get in our minds to raise things up against the knowledge of God in our lives? By taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what that verse says. The battle that we face typically often begins in our minds. Proverbs 23, 7 puts it this way. As a man thinketh, what? So he is. So we, we put in our minds, very important in spiritual warfare, it starts in our minds. So two words for taking every thought captive to obedience of Christ. Two words. Guard and feed. Guard. Guard what's going in your eyes. Because Jesus said your eyes are like a window to your souls. And you should be cutting off. Jesus said you should be cutting off and gouging out things that are corrupting and polluting and endangering your mind. Satan has so many tools in this area today. Oh, my gosh. When I was growing up, TV wasn't the way TV is today. Average American watches four to five hours of that stuff every night. It's corrupting minds. Uh, Internet, social media, so much garbage on that stuff. Be careful. Be careful. Guard what you're putting in your mind. But also feed. Jesus, again, said man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from a mouth. We need to be people that are guarding our minds, but then feeding our minds. We feed our minds with what? Well, we're told in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell. Another version says, let your mind dwell on these things. You know, I've been reading some good Christian books lately. We're reading a great book on prayer right now again. And I tell you, I've been doing it right before I go to bed at night lately. And I just, it's wonderful to go off to sleep after reading some great material on prayer. And so I'll read my Bible in the reading room after we watch some TV. We'll go up to the reading room, read my Bible, some, and then I go to my bed, and I'm reading a great book on prayer right now. And I'm just feeding, feeding, and it's wonderful. Guard and feed. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It'll help you. 
It'll help you win. And then it goes on after that in verse 6, and we are ready to punish all disobedience. Whenever your obedience is complete, you're looking at things as they're outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is in Christ, let him consider this again with himself so that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which is the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. What does Paul tell us in verse 8 about authority? What's the purpose of spiritual authority in our lives? Is it to destroy us? Is it to manipulate us? Is it to control us? Is it to put us under some kind of restriction? No, the purpose of authority, according to Paul, Paul's spiritual authority, was to do what? To build you up. Take note of that. We'll talk, we'll talk about that in just one second. Verse 9, for I do not wish to seem <clears throat> as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal appearance or presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Now, these people that were attacking Paul, <laughs> they were even attacking his outward appearances. They were, they were attacking his, oh, this guy's unimpressive. Now, we know from church history and some of the historical accounts, Paul was probably short. Paul was bow-legged. Paul had eye problems that caused sometimes, you know, leakage from his eyes and stuff. Paul had a unibrow. You know what a unibrow is? He had, he had an eyebrow that went all the way across his head, something I'd probably shave in the middle probably or something. But he had a, he, he had a unibrow. He had a, he had a real big nose, and he was bald. You know, some of the best preachers out there, they're bald. <laughs> pastor Chuck, my pastor, bald. Greg Laurie, bald. Pastor Mike Nimmer, bald. Some great preachers out there, bald. Just take note of that, all right? God only made a few perfect heads and the rest he put hair on, all right? <laughs> some of you go, no. But he, Paul had some issues, physical things, and the Corinthians who were attacking were using his physical appearance and attacking his physical appearance. Does God care about your physical appearance, by the way? No, God doesn't look at the outward appearance according to the Old Testament. God looks at your heart. God's more concerned about your inner beauty than your outer beauty. And so don't give into this culture that's all about just physical appearance stuff. And these guys, those Corinthians, are going after him because of his unimpressive and his physical appearance. Verse 11, let such a person consider this, that we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also in deed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're without understanding. Paul's saying here, don't let people compare people with people because our standard isn't other people, our standard, standard is Jesus Christ. Don't fall in the trap of comparing yourself, your physical appearance and other stuff with other people. Hey, if you're going to compare yourself to somebody, look to Jesus Christ to be the one you set your standard for. Don't get in the comparison trap with other people because there's always going to be people out there that look better than you, that act better than you, that are further down the road even spiritually than you. Don't fall in the trap of comparison, Paul's saying. But listen, here's the, here's the next thing I want you to give, give you for weapons for a warfare, fighting the good fight. Authority. Spiritual authority. And we have this thing in our culture today about authority. We have this thing that our culture hates authority. I think it started with the hippies in the 60s or something, but it's always this fear in this thing. I'm not going to be under the authority of anybody. You know, Frank Sinatra sang that song, I'm going to do it what? I'm going to do it my way. I don't want anybody, I don't want to be under anybody's leadership. I'm going to do it my way. This is my life. I think Billy Joel even sang a song about that. 
This is my life. Just leave me alone. I don't want any authority in my life. But that's not wisdom. Because spiritual authority is supposed to be in our lives to help us win in the battles that we all face. And Paul says right in that verse 8 that we read, Paul says, my authority isn't to hurt you. My authority is to build you up, to help you in the spiritual battles that you're facing there in Corinth. And they were. There's a lot of battles in Corinth. It's a wicked place. And they needed Paul's spiritual authority and leadership in their lives. And you do too. If you want to win in spiritual battles, come under people that are further down the road spiritually and listen to them and learn from them and be willing to be discipled by them. It'll help you. I remember uh, being a young Christian coming out of a lostness. I was lost as a rock when I came to Christ. And then I came to Christ and I started going to this Bible study on Friday night. Dr. Dave, I've talked to him about him before. He was a Bible college professor that was just a man of the word. He had a bunch of us teenagers over his house every Friday night for dinner. And then we'd do Bible study with Dr. Dave, who was brilliant in God's word. And I remember coming to his Bible study and just saying, I'm going to listen to this guy. He's the real deal. And I'm going to learn from him. And I did. You know what happened? As I came under his authority and his teaching, I grew. And I started winning in areas I would never want, won before spiritually. I started getting some strongholds broken in my life. It was wonderful. I learned and I grew because I was willing to come to his house, sit under his teaching and learn from him and submit to his authority in my life as a teacher of God's word in my life. It's wonderful. Then I went to college, University of Illinois. <laughs> I go to this school of 45,000 students. I remember walking to class, and there was like a mass, a waves of students, and just being lost in the crowds at U of I. And it took me a while to get in some fellowship, but I wandered for a while in college until I got in some fellowship. And then I found a campus church my sophomore year in college. It's a great commission church. It's a disciple-oriented church. And I got discipled by one of the deacons in that church. Brian was his name. I'll never forget him because I came under his authority. He started discipling. He started having me memorize scripture and do these discipleship lessons. And then he, then he started showing me the importance of church. And this guy was so serious about me going to church, there would be some Sundays after long weeks of studying whatever else I wanted to sleep in, and I would blow off church. And he, started, he realized I'd, I started missing church here or there. He'd show up at my door of my house, and if I didn't, and he, he'd call me, and he'd and say, okay, I'm here, come on. And, <laughs> and sometimes I felt like just sleeping in, and he'd beep his horn outside my house. So I'd get up and go to church on Sunday. But you know, that guy helped me. By his example and by his leadership, by his discipleship, I grew. And I got victory and I learned. And I grew spiritually. And then I remember going into ministry, being a young pastor, kind of wandering and trying to find out what I was supposed to do as a pastor. And then I found Calvary Chapel. And I started going to the conferences, the pastor conferences with Calvary Chapel. And I started sitting under the teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith. And I started listening to every tape. This is back in the day of cassettes. That's how old I am. But we, I, listened, I had a whole wall of cassettes from Pastor Chuck on the whole Bible. And I listened verse by verse through the Bible with Pastor Chuck. And I came under his authority, his leadership. And it helped me grow spiritually. Come on, be willing to submit to authority. Romans 13.1 says we're to be subject to the governing authorities. And as we all allow good spiritual authority in our lives, and we come under it and we learn and we're discipled by it, we will start winning because we're willing to come under the authorities that God's put into our lives. Don't fear authority if it's the right spiritual authority. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. So let's close it up now. Verse 13. But we will not boast beyond our measure, 
But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we're not overextending ourselves as if we do not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Paul's pointing to his ministry to them in Corinth. Not boasting beyond our measure, that is in other men's labors, but with a hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but him who boasts is a boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Here's what Paul's saying at the end here. He's saying, we in our missionary journeys came to Corinth, and we had spiritual authority and leadership, and we led you guys to Christ in the sphere of our influence with you there. But Paul says, hey, we're not only going to come to you again, we're going to go beyond you. And we're going to go to, to even greater spheres of influence beyond Corinth. Paul's goal is to even get to Spain, he says in another scripture. And what Paul's saying here is, I don't care about the spiritual attacks that are happening with me in Corinth. I don't care if there's people denying my apostleship. I'm going to still come to you again, and I'm going to minister to you. And I'm not only going to minister to you, I'm going to minister beyond you in spheres even greater beyond you. You know what this last lesson of spiritual warfare is? Don't quit. Don't be paralyzed by attacks. Don't get stuck when you're in warfare and there's battles going on. Keep, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, keep pressing on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't quit. Be like Paul who had said at the end of his life, and he was facing an execution, and Paul said, hey, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I finished the course. I'm going to keep pressing on to that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And here he's saying to this Corinthians, I'm going to go not only back to you and minister, even though there's an attack in your church against me, I'm not only going to come and minister to you, I'm going to come to even greater spheres of influence beyond you. And we're going to keep reaching the whole world for Christ. We're not going to quit just because some, there's, a, there's some attacks. We're going to keep going forward. And I think there's some people here this morning that you've been facing some spiritual battles and you feel like you're stuck. And you're close to quitting. And you need to get out of that rut. And you got to realize, hey, the spiritual warfare, it's going to keep coming, but we're going to keep fighting. Hey, if the devil wants to give us a war, let's give him a war, right? If he wants a fight, let's give him a fight. Let's keep fighting. Let's finish the course. Let's keep the faith. Let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's not quit. A, that's a word, I think, for some people here this morning that are stuck. Keep going forward. Keep pressing on. Keep fighting. Keep doing what God's called you to do as a Christian. Don't quit. My life verse is 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Interesting. When we first built our first Jesus dome out there, I like our Jesus domes, by the way. They're, they're not normal. They fit my personality well. Heidi always tells me, John, you're just not normal. <laughs> and our buildings are not normal. I love them, though. But I remember we were building our first Jesus dome right over here. We were still in the steel building. We were doing two services, and we had run out of room in the steel building. We were up to a couple hundred people fitting in that little steel building, which is now the cafe. And so we built the Jesus dome. It's exciting. All of a sudden, we have 8,000 square foot building, a new building. And then in the midst, of, we, we opened it up in September, grand opening, and then October, the Lord told me to go home 
in Chicago, where my parents were at, and share the gospel with both my parents. Didn't, didn't quite know where my mom was at, but I, was, I knew my dad was lost. So I got an airplane in October and flew up and just, okay, Lord, you want me to do that? I'll do, I'll do that. And went up there and met with both my parents, did the gospel presentation, the whole gospel with them. And then um, I told them, I'll be back at Christmas. Let's talk about it some more at Christmas. Well, December hit, and uh, right before Christmas, I got an emergency phone call from my sister. Some of you have heard this story before, but I'll tell you again. I got an emergency phone call from my sister, and she said, Dad's sick. He's in the hospital. I said, really? And she said, you need to get up here right now. So I flew on an airplane again, went back. The next, uh, October was there. went back to, in December to, to visit my dad in the hospital. I did. He was on a, a whatever that thing's called that helps your breathing, ventilator. And we stayed with my dad till about midnight that night, and I just thought, my dad's a fighter. He's always been, he's always a survivor. He's, he's good. He'll get through this thing. His pneumonia will heal. I didn't know at the time that his liver had gone bad. And so I thought, no problem, just pneumonia, he'll be fine. Went home around midnight, and then at 5 o'clock that morning, I had a call from the hospital. Um, your dad's passed away. It's like, sucker punched. I didn't see it coming. Devastated me. One of the biggest things I've ever faced in my life, and I was, I was sucker punched. To the point that it was like a crisis in my faith, because I just didn't see it coming. And I wasn't sure of my dad's spiritual status at the time, too. Later I saw that he had his Bible and a book I gave him on grace by his bedstand. I think he repented at the end right before this thing hit. But I was, man, I was devastated. I remember calling back and talking to one of the head ushers, uh, Wayne Coker, who's still with us here. Um, and I called him and I said, Wayne, you need to get the church to pray for me right now because this thing has sucker punched me and I'm having a crisis of faith. And to be honest with you, I felt like just, wind was out of my cells. I felt like just quitting. I was paralyzed by it. Church started praying. The power of prayer started kicking in. I went to some church services, and the wind of the Spirit started blowing. It started waking me up. And the Lord distinctly spoke to me. I'll never forget. He spoke in my spirit, and he told me, John Hoppy, don't you dare quit. John Hoppy, go back to Calvary Chapel and preach the gospel like you've never preached before. John Hoppy, keep serving me. Keep telling people about Jesus. Keep giving people opportunity to receive Christ. Don't you dare quit. Yes, sir. Got my marching orders. I went back. And from January to that summer, we saw more people come to Christ than we ever saw in the history of the church. It's awesome. We went from a church of 206 months to 400 people. And we kept going forward. We kept pressing on the upward call of God. In the next six months, we grew from a church of 400 to 600 and I'm so glad there was people praying for me. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit swept me back into that place of saying, We're, you keep going. Don't get stuck. Go on the offensive even. Grab people out of darkness and help them find Christ. That's one of the greatest things we could do when we're in spiritual battles, by the way. Keep serving Jesus. Keep being involved in what God's called you to do. And keep leading people to Christ. One of the best things you could do when there's spiritual warfare going on, go tell somebody about Jesus. It'll get you out of stuckness. It'll get you fighting the battle again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, God. Thank you for all we've learned this morning about weapons. 
Thank you for the weapons that you've given us spiritually in the battles that we've faced. Thank you for the weapons of having the right spirit, Lord, a spirit of Christ. In the midst of the attacks, Lord, give us an ability to have a gentle and quiet spirit, a spirit of love and grace, and even in the midst of the battles, Lord. Father, thank you for the weapons, too, that destroy speculations of thought, lofty things by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lord, help us to be people that are washing our minds in the water of the word and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Lord, thank you, too, for the fact that you've given us many weapons. You've given us weapons of faith, weapons of righteousness, weapons of the gospel of peace, weapons of the sword of the spirit, again, the word of God, weapons of prayer. And Lord, help us not to try to win battles just in our flesh, Lord, but help us to be people that are using these weapons that you've given us to use for victory, Lord. Help us to be people that are people, again, of prayer, people of your word, people of your gospel, going forth with your gospel in boots of peace. Lord, give us the ability to be offensive even by bringing forth your gospel into this world as a weapon of righteousness, Lord. Father, I pray too that we'd be willing to come under authority, God. Help us to be people that aren't afraid of authority, Lord, but seek leadership in our lives to help us be discipled in such a way that we'll win, Father. Thank you, God, as we come under the spiritual leaders that you've put in our lives that we'll be helped, we'll not be destroyed, we'll be built up, Father. And Father, I pray that as people attack even spiritual leadership, that we wouldn't entertain that. We'd even confront that and say, hey, go talk to that person. Don't talk to me about that. And Lord, I pray too for this area of going forward, Lord. I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that's just kind of paralyzed by spiritual battles they've been facing. I pray that today might be a day where you give them new power, new, new, new freshness of spirit in their life, new ability to overcome those things that have been overcoming them. Father, we thank you, God, that you say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, Lord. Thank you, God, that we're more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. And thank you, God, that if you're for us, who could be against us, Lord? Thank you for that this morning, Father. And God, I pray again that you give us the ability to have wisdom, Lord, in these areas. Give us the ability to have the power of the Spirit in these areas, Lord. Give us the ability to rely upon you, your wisdom, your spirit, and your strength to overcome in areas we need to overcome in, Lord. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.